Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If more folks were able to, say, receive a hug or a hand job or, you know, a dinner date with someone that they know is happy to provide those things for either money or goods or services, what a different world it would be. But instead, we've made it incredibly difficult for grown adults to do these things. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nasty Woman Club podcast, the sex edition. Yes, I have been on a bit of a hiatus these past several weeks due to a certain pandemic that is happening all around the world right now. But I am back and this podcast mini-series will be continuing to be releasing more episodes every Friday. So thank you so much for your patience. But yes, the mini-series is back. On today's episode, I spoke with Elle Stenger. I have been a fan of hers for a very long time now. She is one of my favorite people on social media. She is a certified sex educator, a stripper, cam girl, writer, podcaster, and an advocate for sex workers. Doing this interview, I learned so much about her, so much about the sex work industry and the stigmatization of sex workers. We spoke about how this stigmatization affects clients' behavior towards sex workers. Other topics that we spoke about also include how to be a good customer at a strip club. And also we looked at how you can support sex workers during this hard time because Many, many strip clubs have had to close down because of the coronavirus. I think this will be a really great discussion for you to hear due to today's climate. I hope you all enjoy my chat. This is Elle Stanger. Thank you so much, lovely, for letting me chat to you. It means the world. Honestly, I've been a fan of yours for a while and I'm obsessed with you, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I really have to ask, though, like, how are you going? How is it all going over there? How's the coronavirus affecting you, your family, and also your work as well? So I don't personally know anyone who has tested positive for it yet, which is great. We are all pretty much in self-quarantine mode. Uh, I live in the state of Oregon, but I'm also very near to uh, Washington State. The border is like 10 minutes away from the club where I work. So a lot of my friends work and live in Washington too. So as of Sunday and Monday night, both of the states mandated that all bars and restaurants limit, I think it's 10 people or less which is not realistic in a strip club venue. So the clubs are closed. So I am seeing a lot of my stripper peers, and I've been a stripper in a fully nude club that serves alcohol and food for about 11 years. I am seeing so many of my stripper peers suddenly scramble to get on digital platforms to do work like webcam or sexting or making their own porn. And I'm just honestly very grateful that I, I've already been doing this work as well for the last couple of years, so I don't mm. have to learn now. And you already got that audience base as well, so that's a good thing. Exactly. Like, I've been keeping, you know, when I sell porn, 
um, independently, I, first of all, I always require, and I tell people this, if I'm going to sell to you, I need you to send me a photo of your state or government ID. You can block out all of the info, but I need a name, face, an ID number, and a date of birth so I can prove if I ever need to that I was only selling to adults. Right away, this eliminates a lot of the people who want the anonymity of, like, say, Pornhub, but the folks that buy from me, I know are less likely to maybe, like, post my porn somewhere else or, you know, upload it to a free content site. So I feel like because I have these relationships with my clients, I can then go back into my books and contact them and say, guess what? I've got new content. So that has helped me, you know, like you said, I have those relationships already, but oh boy, it's been, uh, it's been very, very interesting. Like everything is changing so quickly. So for people in the sex work industry, I don't know if this is then a silly question or not, but do you then get sick leave or anything or government help because all the clubs are closing down or are you guys pretty much ignored? So there's no help for you unless you have already filed taxes in the previous, I believe it's two years, what the government is currently deciding on doing is sending an amount that is a percentage based on what you reported in your taxes in the years prior. So I think it's between after 99,000, you don't qualify, which the majority of, you know, myself and my friends, we don't make six figures. So (laughs) most people will be eligible for maybe a thousand or $2,000 check, but that's only if they file taxes. So regardless of your industry, if you've never filed taxes before, you're pretty shit out of luck. There is a rent uh, freeze in Oregon right now, and I know other states are doing that too, where landlords, they can't evict you and they can't even require rent for at least this month because the venues here in Oregon and Washington are closed for a minimum of four weeks, I believe. Wow. And the schools are closed for a minimum of six until April 29th. And this is the best information I have as of today. We record March 22nd. But, you know, these things are changing all the time. Some of the venues are getting creative, but I know that one very established club is setting up a kind of a speakeasy situation where they are doing private parties at lodges. So not at the venues, but it's people getting together and saying, you know, if we can't dance in the club, we're going to host private parties for our big money clients. The venue where I primarily work at, it started as a joke between the owner and one of the other dancers, but they've They've created Boober, they're calling it Boober, and it's food delivery, topless food delivery. Oh, that's genius. It's delightful. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm doing it for the first time, I think, this Tuesday, but a lot of my my co-worker stripper peers who primarily work in the club, this is helping them. Uh, I haven't done Boober yet, for mainly because I have other work, so I'm like, let them let them take it, you know. I love that. That is such an ingenious idea. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's um, you know, luckily Oregon has much more progressive attitudes than the rest of the United States, and that's Portland in Oregon, not all of Oregon, but the city of Portland. Um, so we already. In the city of Portland, you can walk around naked legally as long as you're not trying to, quote, incite arousal. You won't see people doing it very often, but a topless food delivery service could only come so 
quickly and so easily to places like this where sex isn't already heavily stigmatized. So for people that aren't in the Oregon area, just in anywhere in the States or anywhere across the world in general, how can people support those in the sex work industry now that so many clubs are closing down? So regardless of what's happening in the current climate, political, economical, whatever, I always suggest that folks who do not work in the sex industry, especially if they don't do full service, which is sex for money or sex acts for money, um, don't use the words prostitute, whore, slut, hoe as an insult. Language is very impactful. And so using words like prostitute, whore, slut, hoe um, as insults perpetuates feelings of negativity or blame on sexual women or sexual femmes, and this increases violence and discrimination and stigmatization of not only sexual women, but sex workers. So as a culture, we can just do that right now. If someone's being a jerk, don't call them a whore. (laughs) But right now, because of COVID, the best way you can support sex workers is share our content, like advertise for us if you can, tip us for consuming. If you ever wanted to support your favorite naked performer online, now is a great time. A lot of people are starting like OnlyFans accounts or I have a podcast, Strange Bedfellows. We have a Patreon account. There's also you can buy my porn from my website. And then also something really important that's going to come up because so many people are transitioning to fuller service sex work Um, in terms of like a digital platform. So folks that were dancing before might be doing, you know, masturbation or partnered sex on webcam. Don't out people if you find out that your stripper neighbor is now making porn and you think that's really titillating and interesting. Don't tell all your friends because that can really endanger her life and safety. Definitely like more than ever, I think it's going to give some people kind of a perspective shift on why people enter the sex entertainment industries because the reasons tend to usually be driven by the economy. So we're going to talk then more about the stripping part of your sex work. So you've broken it down, stripping as being the exchanging of touch and companionship. Why is it important for you for people to understand stripping as this and not stigmatize the job? If we had in our society an archetype of woman, let's just say woman or female, because um, we have a lot of work to do in respecting consent and, and desires of all people, all genders and sexes. But in terms of how we treat women, we need to stop shaming people for their consensual desires, especially if they're behaving kindly. So if we had an archetype in our culture for like a sacred whore, We already have the Virgin Mary, but that's the Virgin Mary. If we had a woman archetype that was a provider of touch and pleasure in a safe, healing manner, can you imagine how different our cultures and our societies would treat women who are sexual? People are subjected to violence and discrimination because of the sexual nature of their job, because of maybe the way their bodies look. It's like women with large breasts are sometimes way more likely to be harassed on the street because for some reason someone sees large breasts and feels like they need to let her know how they feel about that. <laughs> and and this kind of behavior wouldn't come from a sex positive society. It comes from our very patriarchal sex negative societies that have always sought to control women, how they procreate and the workforce. And when you have women in the workforce who can utilize sex for income, that really upsets a lot of people who think that women should only be having sex to have children within a heterosexual marriage. 
Yes, it's crazy how there's just such this idea on women and you might actually enjoy this. I forget, I forget who said it. Actually, it was Chelsea Handler that said it, the comedian. She said that in regards to Christianity, the two most famous women of Christianity is the Virgin Mary and then the other Mary who is the quote-unquote the whore. Mm-hmm. Which I find really interesting that, you know, mm-hmm. women are only seen one way or the other kind of thing. Yeah, it's that the whole saying of, like, you can't turn a hoe into a housewife. It's like, <laughs> motherfucker, I have been both. <laughs> we are very effective at managing people's needs, especially under pressure and while looking good. So, you know, as, as a parent, as a person who I luckily, I chose to have a child with a person that I felt safe with who could do this with me and we had the same goals, I recognize how my ability to teach consent to my child when it comes to, you know, don't hit people, don't hit me, or like appropriate context for self-touch, such as you can explore your body in the tub with clean hands, but please, let's not put our hands in our pants in the grocery store. (laughs) It's really helped me understand how much sex and bodies is contextual. And so blanket rules don't work for a lot of people. It's like there is no right or wrong age for people to become sexual with each other, with themselves. There's no right or wrong way exactly for someone to exchange a sex act for money. A lot of things are contextual based on the needs of the provider and the client um, and where they live. So if, if more folks were able to say, receive a hug or a hand job or, you know, a dinner date with someone that they know is happy to provide those things for either money or goods or services, what a different world it would be. But instead, we've made it incredibly difficult for grown adults to do these things. The word prostitution is a legal term for two adults exchanging a sex act for money or goods and services, but in capitalism, typically money. So I just, I I encourage people to look at our cultures and like, look at the ways we regulate people's ability to consent and why and what that stems from in history. Because in America, I mean, only, I think it was until, what was the year? It was the Loving v. Virginia law court case in I think the late 60s that said that black and white Americans could get married for the first time because before that there were still quote anti-miscegenation laws we've prevented gay people from getting married or even being able to live together and not be discriminated against why all of it comes down to religious fundamentalism and racism and homophobia and a lot of this stems from our churches which are again patriarchal and led by either supposedly celibate men or hetero men you put it so well thank you so when people do go to strip clubs how do we be a good customer? I know that's probably a stupid question of how do you be a decent human being and be respectful, but you probably know this. A lot of people don't know how to be a decent human being and be respectful. How do you be a good customer? Like how often you meant to tip your dancers? I love questions like these. And again, it comes down to context because some venues will allow you to take photos and encourage it. And that's normal. Some venues definitely not. I would say the main rules are 
don't touch someone without asking. And this means if you look around and you say, you see that people are like slapping dancers on the butt or the breasts or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean that the dancers like it or that it's okay. You can still make that choice like, hey, can I hug you? Can I put some money here? Can I give you a tap? So asking before touching is amazing. I encourage dancers to do this too. Don't take photos without someone's permission or check with the venue because you could not only out someone, like if you take a photo with, hey, this hot stripper or this person performing, number one, in the States, in most United States, it's a misdemeanor to photograph someone in a state of undress without their permission where there is a reasonable expectation of privacy. And that includes being inside a strip club because you're still within that venue. That's something that could be debated by different law experts. But the idea is don't take photos of people without their permission because you could expose them as working in that industry. You could out them to their families. If someone sees a viral video of a person dancing and it's their child or their partner or whoever they didn't know, well, you've just now opened that person up to a great deal of violence or discrimination or harm. And there's many reasons why people stay closeted a lot of times because of discrimination or shame that's been put on us. But also you can out customers. So <laughs> just in general, don't take photos of people. Don't sneak photos. And then number three, pay people if you're watching them work and it's giving you some kind of pleasure or you just can. Anytime is a good time to tip, especially if you see someone doing something that you can't do. Like you you see someone doing pull-ups from the ceiling bars. Damn, I can't do that. Well, how do we show gratitude? Give them a few dollars. You know, if you're, if you're watching people dance in any state of nudity, that's special in the first place because we don't walk around naked in this culture most of the time. And then also tip more than you would on a cup of coffee because consider how much would you dance naked for and what would make it worth it to you. Mm-hmm. And so i got to ask, I know you have been asked this probably a million times. Last year, <laughs> the movie Hustlers came out. I'm going to firstly ask, what are your thoughts on the movie? And then I'm going to ask you your thoughts on a particular performance by Jennifer Lopez. She obviously, like the the pole work, she probably learnt from the movie Hustlers that she then brought to the Super Bowl performance. What was your first thoughts then on the movie? Okay, so I will admit I never saw the movie because I did not want to pay money to be frustrated and irritated for 90 minutes. <laughs> um <laughs> So what I did instead, and look, if it comes on free, I might sit through it because I probably should. But what I've done is I sourced a ton of feedback from actual strippers all over the country, mostly female. And a lot of them, you know, life is complicated. Most things are not black and white. There were some aspects of the movie that people appreciated, which was focusing on the economic crash of 2007 and how it impacted the workers. The storyline, I do know, was manipulated because J-Lo's character, arguably according to many was a pimp because she had her underclass workers doing labor that she did not and then they were giving her a cut a lot of journalists don't want to write about this because it was never proven so they don't want to get sued but there's a great written piece by an asian former stripper woman it was for nbcnews.com it's called constant lose or constance lose real life hustlers inspiration and the problem with model minority redemption narratives so she said it's refreshing to see a character like destiny which was the asian woman stripper but the movie's feel-good storyline is neither accurate nor empowering for the women who have lived these stories. So again, because I didn't watch the movie, I read this piece, and something she brought up is that in the movie, 
the protagonist works as a stripper to give money to her grandmother to help the family, and the grandmother happily accepts it. In reality, and I will agree with this because of the feedback I get from my peers all over the country and the world, there is a lot of familial shame that often comes with working in the industry where something I that happens a lot is the partners in the family of the sex workers are very happy to receive the money, but they will shame the shit out of you for it from where it comes from and often not be very supportive. So there's also like, apparently at some point, some of the strippers work with law enforcement, but it doesn't mention like how many sex workers have claimed to be victimized by police. You know, like, I don't know if that is mentioned. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Let me go back. I don't know a single sex worker who's ever been robbed or raped who has reported it to police because usually we will not be taken seriously. And I know some strippers and sex workers who have had serious stalker issues that they even went to court for. And it was very in Portland, 50-50 as to whether they received support or protection. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it was really frustrating for me to see a very civilian culture. I call it civilian because people who don't work in sex industries have no ideas of the battles we face. To look around and see a civilian culture very, very excited to put on stripper heels and go to the movie and say, yes, queen, when the movie doesn't highlight a lot of the real struggles that we are still currently facing. Mm-hmm. which is extreme censorship, discrimination in getting housing, partner violence because of stigma. So to your next question, <laughs> how did I feel when I heard that J-Lo did 11, 17, whatever seconds of pole dance at the Super Bowl? Which, by the way, you did an excellent, excellent piece on that. I think it was for Huff- Huffington Post, was it? Yeah, yes. thank you. Um, it was what, an excellent was piece. That was called J-Lo's Super Bowl pole dance was cringeworthy to many real strippers. Here's why. So, okay, so it's not inherently bad that they featured a stripper pole in a mainstream performance, but this is not the first celebrity to use this kind of imagery and then to not help the industry in any way. Miley Cyrus has used a stripper pole. There's a couple others that I'm just blanking on right now. But it's a famous, wealthy celebrity who does not work in the industry using shock value of sex work and the imagery to boost her value, her ad revenue. Meanwhile, I'm getting text messages from real-life strippers who were in the rooms with their family members when that was happening. And the family members who didn't know they were strippers, some of them talked so much shit on real strippers that it it compounded the shame and the sadness that my coworkers already feel. They can't come out to their families because it's so hostile for so many. And yet here we see this on television, but it's okay because she's a celebrity. She's not a real stripper. People were saying that it was a wonderful victory that a 50-year-old woman could pole dance. Meanwhile, there are 50-year-old strippers working multiple shifts a week to make ends meet. And they might also have a hard time finding housing or buying a car, (laughs) or even having a social media account. So it's just, it's hard because while, yes, putting a stripper pole and a celebrity doing a very basic couple of pole moves does remind people that strippers exist, it does not give support or visibility to our real issues because there are always clubs closing 
there are clubs closing all around the country and all around the world. Like what I mentioned in, say, uh, I think it was in the UK, there was a bunch of women in a so-called feminist organization who secretly filmed strippers in clubs and then used that footage to try to get the the club shut down, claiming obscenity violations, claiming they were protecting the workers. There's clubs in California that have forced their dancers to become employees. And what that means now is they take a portion of the dancers tips, call it hourly wages and keep the rest. This is going completely ignored. I mentioned the article in Tennessee, if you want to work as a stripper, it's a two week waiting period, which requires fingerprinting, a background check, a fee. You don't even need that to buy an AR-15 gun. And, you know, and then we have Cardi B, who was a stripper some years ago, but now she's a very famous celebrity. And when she live streams inside strip clubs, she's showing more nudity than any of us are allowed to feature in our actual profiles. So even though Cardi B's throwing money, she's still filming the women without their permission. I don't see any permission being asked. She's slapping them on the breasts and the ass without asking, guess what? The people who see that on live stream and then come into the club for the first time, what do they do? They mimic what they saw the celebrity doing. So I have people trying to slap me, slap my breasts and my pussy and my ass because a famous celebrity did it. So it's just really hard to see celebrities like showcase adult industry when it can actually be very damaging to the worker when people don't have any context for what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Is there any celebrities or people in the public eye that do it correctly, that celebrate sex workers, but in a respectful way, that's not outing them, that's not looking down on them or anything like that? I I have a really hard time thinking of examples. Um, there is a very off-color comedian, his name is Jim Norton, mm. who he's very open about being a client of sex workers, and he has argued for decriminalization or laws that would make us safer and that is not where you expect to see um allyship really but i don't i don't i can't think of any women that do it i mean tina fey is often hailed as a progress as a feminist but she has written entire paragraphs about how why strippers are only doing it because we were quote molested by a family member she made a bunch of dead stripper and dead hooker jokes on 30 rock I can think more easily of celebrities who talk negatively about sex workers and use them as a butt of the joke. There was a woman, oh gosh, what's her name? But she got shamed for tipping us at, it was an awards show, Dua Lipa, that's right. Oh yeah. She was tipping real working strippers at the Grammys after party and there were entire articles like tabloid pieces that were trying to call her out and asking, is it unfeminist? to tip strippers. <laughs> what the hell? Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's all. That's why we're there. We're not there to have people sneak videos of us. We're not there to get slapped on the ass. We're there because we're dancing for tips. It's our job. Wow. Yeah, there's celebrities who have worked as strippers who can speak of it positively, but it's often very ignored. Dita Von Teese is a famous burlesque. She started as a stripper. Mm. Lady Gaga, she worked as a stripper. That's often glossed over. Maya Angelou, now deceased, but she was a civil rights activist, and she did full service and spoke of that in some of her writing that's often totally forgotten. I didn't even know that. Wow. Yes, many people do not. (laughs) Malcolm X, he mentioned having to hustle the streets. 
I want to know your thoughts then on Channing Tatum and when everyone was so obsessed with the two Magic Mike movies and then him also bringing the Magic Mike also to Las Vegas as well. What were your thoughts when that was, you know, everyone was just so obsessed with that? So that was interesting to me. I don't remember what year Magic Mike came out, but I want to say it was before I was a stripper. I did see the first one. I did not see the second one. I actually really liked in the first one how they did talk about like kind of the struggle to earn money. They did show people struggling to keep up physically with the routines. There was infighting. You see the the owner characters kind of a wild narcissist. You know, and I think there's, like, a love story in there somewhere that I don't really care about. But but you see some of the struggle with the characters who are making money off of the work, and they do experience some camaraderie and some benefits of the work, but they know that this is temporary because this isn't an industry that they can sustain themselves in for forever because of the physical and because of the, uh, I think, economical challenges. And then also the stigma, like... A lot of people can strip if they do it for a year or two quietly and maybe they don't have to tell their family or really change a lot of their lives around that. But, you know, being a stripper for, like I said, 11 years now, like when I meet people, I make split second decisions all the time whether or not I'm going to out myself, whether it's at the grocery store or a childcare provider or a parenting group. You know, people ask, what do you do? And I can either lie or I can tell them, and then the conversation might get really, really weird because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So th- there's just a lot of reasons people keep things quiet. But Magic Mike, I didn't have any strong reaction to that that I can that I can recall. Uh huh. What's your go-to job that you say like you know sometimes you, you know you just tell some people going to be judgy or anything like that. What's your go-to job then that you say <laughs> that you do? Yeah. So if I, I, it's shades of shades of lies, really. Um, Shades of omissions. So I will say that I'm a writer. Yeah, I've been a published writer for 15 years. I will say that I'm a sex educator. This is true. I've been a certified holistic sex educator for a year and a half. I will say that I... What's my other one? I will say that I work in the bar if I think it's going to be a really brief conversation because people just assume I'm a bartender. (laughs) (laughs) Usually, I will say I'm a stripper or I'm a sex worker, usually, and that's because I've kind of made it my life's work to use my privilege as I can, and again, when I said that it might change the conversation real quick, it can be an opportunity to teach other people uh, to reframe their attitudes, because if someone is thinking, oh, I really like Elle, she seems like a good communicator and funny and oh, but now I learned she's also a whore. Hmm, maybe I was wrong to feel so negatively about whores, or maybe Elle is just a piece of shit whore and I shouldn't talk to her anymore. (laughs) So it's been really a good way for me to either learn about people, like how severe their bias is, or for them to reframe their bias. Mm -hmm. And that kind of eliminates bias. Yeah. I can imagine, because you say that because you have a daughter, I can imagine when you see parents, it can be interesting to see, like, what way they'll flip, especially if they're conservative. It'd be like a game almost, like, oh, okay, are they going to be really fascinated and ask me a million questions, or are they just going to be repulsed? That'd be, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like the flip of a coin. coin toss. Yes, yeah. exactly. One last thing I would like to say, I would love it, it wouldn't matter if Jennifer Lopez had used a poll in her halftime show, if then she had made a statement like, hey, everyone, 
two bills called FOSTA and SESTA have been severely impacting the safety and the livelihood of our adult entertainers. We need a review of these bills now or something like that, you know, or just something Mm, like, hey, America, we, you know, we featured strippers here, but it's a really important opportunity to remind you to, you know, respect sex uh, education or like sex entertainment for the value it can provide to adults, you know, anything. Anything. But it's like Miley Cyrus doing, you know, she put a grill in her mouth and was throwing gang signs and used a stripper pole when she was having her naughty phase. And then two years later, she's like, oh, I'm reformed. I don't do those things anymore. Yet she still made money off of what she did, which was appropriating, you know, hip hop and strippers. Mm. It's just frustrating. It's very frustrating. Yes, I can imagine. Absolutely. So another thing I can imagine is incredibly frustrating for people at strip clubs and just in the sex work industry in general. You're a strong advocate for decriminalizing sex work. In your area, Oregon, because I know all over the state all over the different states in America it can it's different. What is the laws with stripping? Like, are you legally protected by your employer or your government? So, luckily, Oregon is a state. What what tends to be the most common way to differentiate is you have states that require licensing and applications for dancers and sometimes ID cards, and you have ones that don't. Luckily, Oregon does not require that I get fingerprinted or fill out a background check. Um, it means that I can go to a venue and I can give them one or two forms of ID. They scan them. I read the rules and agreements. I agree to them or I don't. I can do an audition where they see what I look like and if they want to book me. And then I either get booked or I don't. We don't require licenses or fees to work. We do almost all of us pay some kind of a stage rental fee or a house fee to the venue that can be anywhere from a dollar to upwards of a hundred to a quarter of what you make or more. They all determine it differently. And then a lot of us also, we have to tip out the hourly waged employees, which under the employee and independent contractor laws is not legal Um, It is a weird gray area where a lot of us are treated somewhere in between independent contractors or employees. Uh, We should not, as independent contractors, be forced to pay stage fees or to tip out waged employees. Um, Ideally, an independent contractor is they're hired to do the work. They show up, they work, they leave. But luckily, Oregon isn't forcing us to become employees yet, which, as I've seen in California, Um, has really severely impacted the amount of money that the workers can keep. And also when you become an employee, the workplace has more control over how you look and how you behave. So luckily, so far, Oregon has it pretty good where we either get booked or we don't and we pay a little to work, but at least the club isn't counting our money and then dividing out portions that go back to the house. Yeah, I know that's all very complicated. There's really, <laughs> it's, it's very state by state, but then it also varies club by club within those states. And then some clubs are owned corporately, like uh, Spearmint Rhino is a chain that I believe, I worked for that one of their locations briefly uh, about six or seven years ago, but they had at one time about 300 venues around the world. So of course those venues are all going to vary based on the geographic, you know, the laws and the social mores. 
It gets complex. It's different everywhere. That must be so complicated for people that are just starting out in stripping, I can imagine. <laughs> yes, and, and this is why back in 2013, 14, 15, I was working to create a hotline for the state of Oregon for live entertainers so we could call just to get resources if it was like, hey, no one taught me how to file taxes as an independent contractor or... I think my manager is a creepy rapist. How can I report him, you know, or how can I get safety without engaging with law enforcement? So we created this hotline that was actually, it passed. It was funded $50,000 a year to have someone with hotline and uh, I think some kind of advocacy or social work background to, to work the hotlines. However, it was poorly funded, and when Oregon announced a budget deficit of like 3 or $5 billion, I don't remember, they cut the hotline. But it was a testament to something that we could build mm. because there is no black and white. Like I said, like if you make rules for how one restaurant should operate, that's not going to, to work for all restaurants across the country or the state. Same thing goes with adult entertainment venues. So instead of mandating these black and white rules or strict ordinances with no wiggle room, I just want to give resource and information to the workers. And I kind of would like the venues to self-manage independently, you know, while being like ethical. Uh, But I think that's a lot to ask from capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a shame that it had to get pulled because that sounds like such a great idea. And also the best thing about it as well, you're talking with a real human on the phone. They're not going to judge you. You can ask Mm -hmm. a million questions that you might not even know you had until the end of the phone call. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a shame. It was a shame. You know, it wasn't being operated very well by the Bureau of Labor and Industries because the person who was in charge at the time, the commissioner, there was rumor that he was more concerned with, like, looking like he was doing good work and putting his name on posters than actually seeing how these things were being implemented. Um, We have a different person in there now. It's a lady. uh, But I have to say, my experience going into the state capitol, Salem, Oregon, as working as a, as a lobbyist uh, twice on two separate occasions, but that was the first time, it is astounding how many Democrats, even left-leaning or so-called progressive politicians, have no idea how to engage with people like me who do sex work. There's such a strong victim um, identity that is attached to sex work that a lot of people think like, oh my God, you must have a pimp, you must be abused, like how, how much were you molested as a child, you know, and like these things happen to all kinds of people, but it's really just kind of shocking like how much we've been brainwashed into thinking that the only people who work sex are struggling victims, and we completely ignore people like myself who are happy little perverts who have always been interested in sex and just <laughs> want to do these things the most kindly <laughs> yeah. and ethically. Yes, yes, absolutely. And in addition to stripping, you're also a cam girl and you create pornographic videos you put these videos up on cam soda which is a membership platform for those that don't know you pay money to see the certain videos why did you decide to put your videos on that rather than you know on Pornhub okay so 
So I love this question. Um, so I actually have one Pornhub video. <laughs> it is a balloon torture, uh, balloon popping ASMR video. <laughs> I did see that. I did see that. I was just like, yeah. this? I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> <laughs> you might never again. It's a very, very small niche. Um, I honestly just had some beautiful lighting, and my boyfriend and I were going to make some clips anyway, and I had these balloons left over from uh, my daughter's birthday party. And I was like, you know what? Let's just make something fun because some people actually really, really like um, watching balloons get popped. It's like the anticipation or the horrible squeak of like pulling on them. Anyway, yeah. So okay. no, it's a so, thing. Everyone, lo- there's a group of people. <laughs> they love that stuff. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have that one video on Pornhub, and then otherwise I do live webcam on camsoda.com uh, forward slash scriptwriter. And if you miss the live shows, you can buy portions of the shows that the moderators prepare as clips for purchase later. So I really want to say that what platform you choose is going to depend on your needs and desires. If you're a content creator already, say that you're a famous porn star and you already shoot with big production companies, it makes a lot of sense to host them on Pornhub where they can advertise, cross-promote, track the, the income, and then it's ad revenue. But if you want to interact live in a different way, then you would maybe do CamSoda or Chatterbait or MyFreeCams. So if you have other partnerships with like lube companies or, you know, Pornhub is a great way to help promote because it's so big. For the webcam shows like CamSoda, I can schedule, if I decide that I want to go on today, I could jump on, I could log on and see if I can make any money. Um, If I wanted to make a porn for Pornhub, I could film it, edit it, put it on there, try to advertise it, see if I can make any money. So there isn't like a better or worse way, Mm -hmm. but it's worth looking at the breakdowns for how they pay you because I have found that CamSoda for me is more lucrative. I'm not a big name porn star, so people aren't going to be searching me on Pornhub anyway. And then also with CamSoda, I can actually block, this is a nice feature a lot of the webcam sites have, you can block certain regions so that people who live there with those IP addresses can't see you at all. That is brilliant. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I've made the joke, uh, (laughs) I chose to not block my home state where I was born and raised for the first 22 years of my life of California because I know that there's so many people in high school who would pay to see me fuck. So I'm like, you know what? Let them. (laughs) Yes, take their money. Yes. Exactly. You guys (laughs) excuse me in high school, so pay me now. Um, But I told my mom, you know, after the... The Huffington Post piece came out. I checked in with my mom and I said, were there any surprises to you two, you and dad? And she said, well, you know, dad didn't know you did webcam. And I said, well, avoid cam soda on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So the platforms you use is really going to be based on your needs and what you can investigate. Um, and also if you feel like the site works well with you. Yeah, it's, it's just all contextual for sure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Now, something I think you and I could easily rant on for, like, an hours on end. I want to talk to you about, my dear, women that claim to be feminists but believe that all sex workers, every single one of them, must have had a terrible childhood, they're forced into this, and they are called swerfs. <laughs> Why is it wrong, and how is it, in fact, you cannot be a feminist if you do not support sex workers? Right. So it's really, really interesting when a person who tells me on the internet that they are a feminist and they support protection and safety for all women and that me working in the industry is hurting women. And I'm like, well, no, because just because you think my job is yucky and yes, it's true, some people are forced to do it doesn't mean you should abolish all of it. Here's a perfect parallel. I don't want to make clothing. I would hate to work in a clothing factory, but most of the clothing that we wear was made by people in faraway factories getting paid 30 cents a day. And where is your concern for their women's rights? Well, that's not convenient for a lot of yuppie housewives. It's it, there's so many reasons why sex workers get hated on and people pretend it's for our own concern. Some people think the job is yucky. Some people have their own, you know, I mean, plenty of us have our own trauma around men or penises or sex. So I think I think there's some kind of resentment among um, survivors of sexual abuse who are like, how could you possibly? interact in these ways like that makes you a traitor um because they conflate like their experience with other people's there's a lot of projection that comes in there and that's unfortunate um there's a lot of people who are unwilling to look at capitalism and commerce and how industry functions and that's again like the clothing example like if you say that you're concerned about working women or women and children i really encourage you to go look at your closet and then check out the check on the labor rights um, or any of the labor issues that might come up for some of these companies. And then the people who don't support full service, AKA prostitution, these people never, ever, ever want to hear from folks who actually do the work on why their views harm us more. So when you have so-called feminists that say, well, I just, I don't want to punish the worker, but I want to punish the disgusting, evil client that would force you to do these things. So therefore we should arrest all clients. These are called end demand models like the Nordic model or the Swedish model. And what this does is now you've made it, let's just look at my perspective first as the provider, you've made it harder for me to earn money You've made it harder for me to, to see a client who will not be under duress or severe anxiety because they're afraid that this date might be a sting and they don't want their picture on the newspaper as some kind of sexual predator when in fact they were just trying to receive some touch. And then what you're doing to the clients is you're assuming that anybody who wants to receive consensual adult sexual pleasure is a monster, which is absolutely not the case. There are so many reasons why people pay for sex, and sometimes it's because they have a disability or severe anxiety or a chronic issue or, you know, heck, it's a transactional society where we pay for everything else. So there are many providers who are very, very happy to make that porn clip, go on that date, suck that dick, 
you know, like massage those balls, whatever, because they know that it's work they can manage that might be interesting or even safe enough to do. And then they go home and live their lives. And then that client goes on and they live their lives. I think it's a lot of also straight women in relationships who are afraid that their partner, their boyfriend, their husband would be a client. These are the women who think that looking at porn is cheating. Mm. You know, like these are the women who are like, well, I don't want him to get a dance because then maybe he'll have sexual feelings for someone else besides me. And, you know, I could go on a whole other spin on like toxic monogamy because I personally want to encourage my partner to have pleasure in consensual safe ways. Um, and I don't feel ownership over his body. So if I see the lube out or the toy moved, I get a little excited. I'm like, Ooh, you masturbated today. Good for you. You know, (laughs) did you watch any porn? Like what kind? Can you tell me? Like I'm excited for their pleasure. Yeah. Usually how you can find these women, if if you see someone online who's like, I just think it's wrong and no woman or child should be forced to do this, you say, I agree. No woman or child should be forced to do this. What if I told you that decriminalizing consensual adult sex would make it so that only the people who are being forced to do this can receive victim services instead of law enforcement focusing their efforts, arresting adults who want to be engaging in these ways? Mm, exactly exactly because i've seen definitely a lot of pages that i was actually really big fans of and then i realized no you guys are really discriminating sex workers right now i cannot be i cannot like this page anymore because i do not support your beliefs what i've seen a lot is that they say there's more likely that you're going to have people that are going to rape you but the thing is it's just like in every single industry there are criminals in every single industry. There are toxic, toxic people that will do harmful things. Clearly, the Me Too movement showed that, that in all workforces, there are horrible people in it. Like, it's not, it's just very frustrating that they think, like, oh, you're putting yourself in danger. But it's just like every single job, there are bad people. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I've been sexually harassed as much as when I was a 16 year old working in an ice cream shop. Um, as I have been as an adult working in a strip club, you know, I've been hollered at and catcalled at by grown men since I was 12 years old. Like this, it's a rapey culture. We call it rape culture for reasons. Mm. I think it's really interesting how people who have never worked in the industries say they know so much about it, (laughs) you know? And, and I definitely argue that if we had shame free environments with clear communication, set boundaries and rates and agreements, um, supporting the workers and the clients, there would be less violence. Absolutely. And I see that because I teach consent and I teach communication to my clients and I model it for my peers all the time. Um, and I want to make one quick comment that what I've seen as an unfortunate side effect of years of systemic and individual abuse against sex workers is it breeds a kind of a hatred and a distrust for men and for the outside world among some sex workers to where, you know what, we start just hating our clients because we're so frustrated at how ignorant our clients are. And I see sex workers who are more likely to, you know, if they're going to rip someone off and like not give them their content or if they're going to, you know, be unkind to their client, like those attitudes came from years and lifetime maybe of frustration and at how we are always treated like shit. Mm. So it's this awful unhealthy cycle. Whereas if you work in an environment 
where everyone's okay with what's happening, we're on the same page, money's being exchanged, and we both know it, and we're okay with that, and, you know, we talked about condoms or lube, or do you have any pain, like, it just breeds more empathy and nurturing. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if we treated childcare centers with as much disdain as we treat um, adult touch venues we would have less patience for our children when they act out because they don't know how to behave it's the same thing with clients people act squirrely and weird and say awkward shit because they don't have good models for how to interact they've been shamed for being there exactly yeah and I love that you've spoken so openly about how there are some clients that Oh, there was this video you posted. Actually, yeah, I think it's sort on Pornhub as well. You posted on there about there's some clients that you've interacted with. I think, oh, I think I remember um, a gentleman that came in and it was his fiance that had just committed suicide. He hadn't told anyone about it. He came to you and he just yeah. wanted someone to hug. He just wanted someone to talk to, just be there for him. That's not going to ask him a million questions. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a really bad stereotype that people think that, oh, because you're a stripper, all your clients are bad people. But no. that's not the way it is at all. We used to tell women who wanted to wear, well, in America, around the turn, about 100 years ago, that women that wore two pieces were bad people. You know, mm. they were bad for wanting to swim in the ocean for not and not wear baggy clothes. And, <laughs> you know, like they wanted to be with their bodies in nature. Like, it's just amazing the things we shame people for. Yeah, absolutely. And then another feminist issue that you were very passionate about on your Instagram page, which I just love so much, is abortions, my dear. Can Uh someone be a feminist if they don't support abortions? Oh my gosh, no, because you're not (laughs) supporting people's bodily autonomy. Uh, So I learned that the year after abortion was legalized in New York State um, some decades ago, the maternal mortality rate dropped there by 45%. So even to this modern day, uh, the CDC, that's the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., says that about 700 women die per year during childbirth in the U.S. This is way, 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 way less than it was right after we legalized abortion um, because people are always going to get pregnant when they don't want to or it was out of their control so i'm talking about rape incest abuse or just accidents um you know people want to experience pleasure doesn't mean that they can sustain a life so you know if we want to protect people's lives the living birthing people which tend to be female women females um you know i'm a trans ally and men can have babies but when we're talking about female bodies they mm-hmm. tend to be people who identify as women um, we have to know that it is that childbirthing people have been inducing abortions for thousands of years, um, and that people terminate pregnancies when they know or suspect that the pregnancy or the birth or the raising would put a huge strain on their ability to survive as an individual or in their community. So when you force people to not just have babies, but carry them, birth them, and raise them when they can't afford to provide safety um, or food, you have increased the likelihood of strain and suffering on many parties, and it limits the ability of survival and success for both. So in the U.S., there's about 20,000 youth uh, 
uh, that will never be adopted. They'll age out of the foster care system. And from AdoptUSKids.org, it says these children are at increased risk of poor educational outcomes, experiencing homelessness, and being unemployed. So abortion becomes a human rights issue um, only, like, preventing abortion becomes an issue only if you're a fundamentalist who believes that life begins at conception, which I'm sorry, I don't, because what's growing inside has no awareness and no pain, and most abortions could be completed before the 24th week, which is the minimum age of viability outside the womb. That means they've determined that most fetuses, infants, whatever, if you come out before the 24th week, you're going to have serious defects, probably not going to survive. So if more abortions can be done earlier stages, there's just less impact. It's like that saying, like, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If people were able to screen early for pregnancy and terminate the pregnancy, it would be a lot less painful or unsafe. And the reason that late-term abortions typically occur anyway is when a severe defect or abnormality has been discovered that would compromise the ability of the fetus, family, pregnant person. So, yes, it's a feminist issue because also the people who tend to make these decisions are males, men, who will never be at risk of developing diabetes or, you know, their feet aren't going to grow three sizes and stay that way. Or maybe they develop a dairy allergy. These are things that can happen when you're pregnant, not even birth. And then birth is dangerous. People can die in that. And then what? You have a baby that now you have to provide for? So it, it tends to be when you force populations to breed, you control the workforce because now you have trapped those populations in cycles of poverty because they have to work to provide for these children. Women already don't get paid enough and we're more likely to be at home even if our male partners have the same amount of education as us. So it's very much a feminist issue. There's no reason you should be men, legislators who have never experienced this should be telling female people what they have to do for a clump of cells that literally has no awareness and will not for until you let it let it be born. Yeah. <sighs> so frustrating. Yes. In Australia, we are getting very better at it, but I just see news stories coming out of America and I just think this the poor women at the moment just seeing those mm-hmm. news stories. Like with coronavirus right now, for example, you know, like it just feels like we're just bombarded with news stories of negativity. I can imagine with women over there with abortion, you just keep seeing news stories of like, oh, this new bill is coming in that's going mm-hmm. to like the new heartbeat bill is coming in, this bill is coming in, this bill is coming in. I can just imagine it just be so terrifying because you just feel like sooner and sooner you can have no rights to your body i mean in some states there's really if you if you have a pregnancy that it is a result of rape there are still often uh rights for the rapist uh sperm donor quote father to where that person would be allowed visitation of the child and this is after rape (laughs) uh this is, this is because of conservatives and Republicans. Um, Mike Pence, the current vice president to mm-hmm. dickhead Donald Trump, uh, he was trying to make it so that everyone who had an abortion would also have to pay for a, quote, burial, which I've talked to people who provide these services, and there's literally, it's less than what you would fill a tampon with with blood for a lot of people. If it's just blood and tissue, there's nothing to bury, and yet people who have maybe been raped or had these 
abortions for whatever reason. Now they have to pay for a burial for a clump of bloody cells that is unrecognizable. And, and this is because why? Because conservatives want you to feel the guilt of having an abortion. It is insane. That's horrible. God, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you doing this interview with me today. Thank you so much for letting me chat to you. I just adore the work you do. It's just so incredible. Thank you, Demi. I really appreciate that. Yeah, because sexual rights and civil rights are always linked. They always are. Some people more than others, but if we look at it that way, we'll see it's true. Sexual rights are civil rights. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on, Demi. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Nasty Woman Club, The Sex Edition. For more information on Elle Stanger, make sure you head to her Instagram page at stripperwriter and also her website, stripperwriter.com. Make sure to also check out her podcast, strangebedfellowspdx.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review for more stories on women empowerment and inspiring women with inspiring stories and intersectional feminism, make sure you head on over to the Nasty Woman Club social media pages on Instagram and Facebook at the Nasty Woman Club. And also make sure you head on over to the website, thenastywomanclub.com. I'm your host, Demi Lynch, and I will see you all next time for another episode of the Nasty Woman Club, the sex edition. 